0: I think um, ahead of elections, there's so much going on. I think we need to just kind of shift focus slightly and just go into um, what does it, uh, what, how does, uh, how does local government work away from all the politicking and election campaigning that's been going on.
1: Yeah, not true. I mean, 18 days is quite close, right? Like 18 days to the local elections. Um, it's really time for us to. Look past, as you say, the the politicking, the campaigning, and really understand our role as young people um, in holding local government to account.
0: Yeah. Um. So everybody uh, in the space so far. Um. Basically, my name is Fatima Musa from the Daily Vox, um, and I'm joined by Letty from Youth Capital. Um. She'll introduce herself in a little while. Um. But basically, tonight's another edition of the Chit Chat Club, which is part of. Um, hashtag be the driving force series and our election Wednesday's focus Um, and basically we're going to be looking at the integrated development plans um, which is something that every municipality in South Africa are required to produce and it kind of maps out um, the municipality's short, medium and long term obviously plan and it tackles various issues including spatial planning, disaster management, finances and I mean just going through the, through this list, these are all of the things that I think, as we draw closer to elections, that these are the issues that um, we need to be looking at when we're deciding who we're going to cast our vote for. And even if we're not casting our vote for, uh, we're just looking at the leadership in our local government structures. Um, and we're going to be joined by two guests tonight um, who are going to be giving us some insights and helping us understand what are these IDPs and why are they so important? Um, but, yeah, I'm just going to hand over to Leti now. And before um, I hand over completely, I think we did um, we spoke about this a little bit. Um, but, yeah, there's less than 18 days uh, for the elections. How are you feeling, uh, Leti? Um, can you hear me, Fatima?
1: Yeah. just want to do a quick click. All right, awesome. I, yeah, I am... I guess it's like the calm before the storm type of feeling uh, that I have where I'm a bit calm but I'm also you know anxious about how things will unfold on the 1st of November Um, and I know we'll talk about this in the course of the conversation um, in terms of low uh, registration amongst young people low voter registration among young people and what that means and how else we can get involved in holding local government um, accountable so I'm calm but also a bit anxious about what will happen on the 1st and even post the 1st of November
0: yeah I think you summed up uh, basically uh, my feelings as well it's there's a lot going on and it's it's very difficult to see what's going to come after when we've had yeah, the election period has been so short, but it seems that so much has happened um from political parties to just communities as well. Um, yeah, so but basically I think we can get started with our conversation and um you can introduce our guests. Um to both of our guests and open dialogue, um Siboniso has joined us. I have sent um speaker requests, so you can just accept it and then you should be allowed you should be able to speak. So um, I have sent the request, um, the invite, I mean, so you can just accept it. But I'm going to allow Letiwet to introduce our speakers. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Fatima, for that. So before I proceed with introducing our speakers, just a quick intro of who Youth Capital is to those in the space that have not heard about us. We are a youth-led advocacy campaign with an action plan to reduce youth unemployment. Um, right at the core, what we do is amplify the voices of young people, because we believe that our experiences as young people can shape solutions to the issues that we face, the challenges that we face, with unemployment being one of them. And so really looking forward to being part of this conversation, um, because it it speaks to the idea that as young people, our voices matter. Um, and also before I proceed to introduce the guests, I also just want to emphasize what we've said in past engagements on, on Twitter spaces, that this is a safe space um, where we, you know, we respect people's opinions. However, we will not tolerate um, rude commentary, or any language that is um, offensive or, or incites harm. Um, so please note that as as you contribute to this conversation. Moving along to who we have as our guests. Um. So, as Fatima said, we have two guests from Activate, Um. Tamsanga my Masingi from Activate, and Um. We have Zach from the Catharot Youth. I'll just give them each a chance to expand on who they are, and the work they do, and why this topic matters to them, and the work that they do. So, I'll start with you, Tamsanga. And then move on to
2: you, Zach. Uh, Thank you very much, Letiwe. Hopefully you guys can hear me right. Um, Technology tends to be a bit tricky. Yes, my name is Tamsang Wan-Masingi. I work for Activate Change Drivers. Um, I'm currently the making local government work and public policy manager. So essentially the work that i do is centered around um civic education at local government level as well as getting young people to participate in public policy processes right what we'd like to see happen is increasing the number of young people participating in key decision-making processes and being aware of these processes so that um whatever solutions we come up with as society you know they are relatable to you know they the largest demographic right so Currently, what we're working on, uh, obviously, is elections. Um, that's one of my key focuses, leading up to elections, getting up a, a few community engagements, uh, looking forward to getting 200-plus young people participating as observers in upcoming elections. Um, and the reason I, I love this particular discussion is that we tend to focus on elections, on the electoral cycle, when there's other phases you know, that are equally as important, right? Uh, there's more to ensuring that, uh, to, there's more to making local government work than just voting, right? So what happens after voting is equally important, um, especially when a new council has been set up, you know, to ensuring that um, our governments are functioning and um, we are also participating and holding the people that we voted into council um, to account. So I look forward to the discussions, Um, just a disclaimer, I do not know all the answers, but this is a key topic of interest for me, um, something I work on, something I'm passionate about. And also later on, I'll be bringing on a colleague, she's currently in an interview, He'll be sharing a bit more from a councillor's perspective, since he's been part of uh, the Rustenbeck local municipality. His name is Offense Kwambe. Um, and excitingly enough, you know, the movement that they started, which is the Dickening Community Movement, um, he's now the mayor- mayoral candidate for the particular party. But anyway, without further ado, I'd like to hand over to the next speaker.
3: Thank uh, you. Jack, Zach. can I come in? Zach, please, do you come in? Is it Zach speaking? Uh, thank, thank you so much. Yeah, so uh, it's Zach here. I uh, it's my first time in a Twitter space, so forgive me if I'm a bit um out of the loop and and not quite too sure on, on how to go about using the space in the most effective way. Um, first and foremost, let me just say thanks to Teddy Vox and to Youth Capital for for putting this together. Um, so I am the Education and Training Officer in the Youth Activism Program at the Amit Katrara Foundation. Um, our work is primarily centered around, you know, trying to get young people active in their communities and, and in society and engaged in, in um, you know, thinking up ways to uh, effect systemic change. Um you know, so so part of that work recently, uh, in the run-up to the local elections, has been civic education, uh, getting young people to understand, uh, you know, the the importance of voting, um, uh, and also what it is that they are voting for, what it uh, you know what it is that that local government does. Um, I believe work is is, is quite similar to.
4: Uh,
1: um I don't know what happened Zaki I don't know if you if you can still be heard
3: and uh, more broadly of the society uh, all right yes Fatima
0: now, I think we just missed the last part of what Saki said, but um, I think he did cover most of what uh, was important. So maybe we can get into the questions, I guess.
1: Awesome. Um, jumping straight into it. My question to both of you, and I'll start with you, Tami, is what is an IDP? Right? Um, we know that it's, it's, it's an acronym, but like, could you expand a bit on what the IDP is and why is it necessary? Tammy
2: and then Zaki. Okay, cool. Um, I think the, the host actually did a good job in explaining it when we started the session in terms of what it is, what it does. Um, I think what I'll do is just provide a bit of context, right? So if we look at modern-day South Africa, um, we inherited the legacy of apartheid. When you look at things like spatial planning, <clears throat> um, service delivery for certain areas, which were highly serviced, and others which were neglected. You know, when you look at l- rural areas, for instance, right. So around, I think it was 1996, um, the government introduced the Integrated Development Plan, which is primarily, for lack of a better word, a super plan, a five-year plan, or a policy for municipalities, right, for or for a municipality that looks into how they can develop their. Their municipality and how they can get community members to also make inputs and contributions towards this particular municipality. Right. Um, so it's a it's a, it's in, in short, it's a five year plan um, that seeks to you know plan out the to plan out what the next five years looks like. Um, and it's a very important tool because um, the things that you see happening in your community from your municipality are actually informed about this particular document. Uh, They don't just happen in isolation. They don't just happen haphazardly. So if there's projects to be done, um, for instance, if there's a recreational centre that needs to be built within your respective municipality, it needs to be reflected in your IDP and how, you know, the municipality also knows which projects, uh, which activities it needs to initiate um, is through the, you know, the public participation process that comes with the creation of this particular document, right? So initially, um, we're going to go into elections on the 1st of November, right? New council is formed and then a new five-year plan needs to be created uh, by the new council, right? Which is the Integrated Development Plan, which, which will take about, should take about, you know, five to nine months, depending on, you know, the size of the municipality. municipality, um, where they get inputs from the community. What is it that they'd like to see? What is missing? What is needed? What are the challenges? What are um the hopes essentially right and they put that, that particular document together it also needs to go through council for approval it needs to also be reviewed by the community before final final adoption right so when you open your idp essentially um or when you read your idp you need to see uh, what needs to what you need to see is what your community, what your municipality looks like in terms of profiling, right? Um, how many people, population wise, race demographics, education demographics, employment demographics. Um, what are the challenges when it comes to the environment? You know, um, I could go on, but it's essentially a document that gives a picture of what your community looks like, and also what your community. I, you know, uh, hopes to achieve in the next five years. And it's also a document that's constantly revised each year, you know, Um, there's always an annual review on this document, primarily because, you know, sometimes certain things needs to be done um, because there might've been unforeseen challenges or circumstances. You take COVID for instance, right? Um, COVID has impacted and has affected certain IDPs that had to be, you know, reconstructed to meet those particular needs. So essentially, um, from my understanding, that was that's what an IDP is. Um, it's a super plan for a municipality um, that seeks to develop uh, your municipality.
1: Thank you so much, Tommy, for that. I think it really provides us with a clear and broad idea of what the IDP is and why it's so necessary. Zaki, I want to come to you and specifically comment on the fact that I know youth clubs at um at Kathra Foundation, there was a campaign recently that you ran about the opening of a library, right? And that speaks to the point about, um, you know, communities being developed and and the IDP highlighting what developments are necessary. And so based on the work that you've done, the campaign specifically around the opening of a library in a particular community, why is the IDP so necessary Two young people, young activists
3: that you work with. Thank you. Um, I, I, uh, I I must uh, confess that I am incredibly new to the to the foundation. Uh, I only started my work there, I believe it's a week and a half ago now. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, do forgive me as well if I am not in, you know uh, completely clued up on. On uh, all of the kind of historical work of the foundation and things that have, have, have happened uh, uh, that have happened before the last week and a half, um, I will say though that you know the IDPs are incredibly important, right? Because uh, as as Tamir said, they are very much about bringing together different actors and sectors um, in creating a shared vision and strategy for development, right? Um, so this sort of development plan. Uh, is important because it seeks to ensure that all stakeholders have a say in the trajectory of their communities. Um, so in this sense, you know, it's also a, a vital part of promoting a healthy democracy uh, in that it gives people an opportunity to be a part of deciding on how socioeconomic growth is pursued. Um, yeah, so I... Uh, I mean, in relation to to Lahai, uh, you know that that campaign is is uh, something that we we're really pushing for now, uh, and 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 trying to punt and and create awareness around because uh, that that library and the development of that library is something that the community has decided that they that they want, and especially young people in the community who are in a position where they are having. Uh, you know they're having to fight for their education to be taken seriously. Um, and that particular library, as as far as I know, is, uh, you know, the project started in 2016, uh, and it uh, to date, it's, you know it, it is it is not completed. The the infrastructure and the building is in many ways a a relic of forgotten promises in the community, and and it is a daily reminder to young people. In the of of the neglect by the uh, local government. Um, so, you know, we know that that uh, governments, you know, have some uh, v- v- boom in uh, the run up to elections, and and we're trying to um, use this opportunity to to uh, to get them to finally complete that 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 project. Um, yeah.
0: Um, Okay, I think, thank you both for um, those responses. I think it does lay the ground of what is an IDP and why is it so necessary. Um, And I mean, I think just speaking, um, if I can just um, take this uh, to speak a little bit about the kind of the work we've been, the reporting we've been doing at the Daily Vox over the past couple of weeks, two weeks or so. um, I think we see how, I mean, I guess uh, Tammy and Zaki will speak to this, but about like how does these IDPs, which are meant to be this integrated um, plan, do they work across communities whether um, or do they mostly target the urban areas as opposed to rural areas? Um, because one of our reporters did a story about how women in farms speak about how um, they just aren't part of development and, and, and I- any of the resources or service delivery. Um, and then we had a story about a community have been waiting 20 years for a road um, to be built in the area. And I guess that's just another thing about how um, does these plans, um, where, where uh, who who I guess are targeted at them. I see we have a speaker who's requested. Um, Letiway, do you think we can go ahead and just take um, the, res- um, we can put the speaker on board and then we'll c- carry on with the questions?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, let's let's um open a floor, l- l- just for one person to contribute before we proceed with asking the other questions.
0: Okay, so Pumi, I'm adding right. you. Um, and as soon as you are, at, okay, you can go um with your question yeah. or comment. Thanks. Um, you know,
4: it's actually very interesting um to listen um to what the other speakers are saying. Are the intentions of the IDP? I work in, in, in mining and work very close with uh, communities who are supposed to be consulted during the development of an IDP. When we work on developing a social labor plan, which is the obligation that a mining company will make um, to receive mining right to mine in the area. We engage communities to try and understand what are their needs so that we don't come up with projects that we thumbsack that we think okay because we're a corporate then these projects should we should just implement these projects. So we start engaging very early the community. When we get to a point where we're now starting to speak to the municipality, we go with the shopping list of the projects that are identified by the communities. When you look at those projects and what's in the IDP, completely different, which shows you that when the IDP is developed or when content is being um, collated to understand the needs of the communities, it's a desktop exercise where municipalities are unable to go and do engagements or or consultations with the community members. So you, you're sitting right in the middle of a, a community and a municipality, a municipality that then needs to sort of not approve, but sort of say we recognize and acknowledge the projects that we want to do. Yes, they're in the municipal area, uh, so we'll work together, right? And you get a clash, so which means you can not move. I know that um, part of the work that we have done is to try and bring in the CSIR to help municipalities with capacity to be able to engage and consult and, and gather data that really talks to the needs of the community. And, and, and I'd be interested uh, to ask the host if the other speakers um, are able to share some of the initiatives that you run to, to, to empower municipalities um, and the processes that they follow to develop their IDPs. Um, so that as the private sector we can find ways to 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 understand how the process works and how not how we can be part of it not to input but to ensure that when we have a list of needs from the community they somehow speak to the needs that the municipality has identified so the private sector ends up having to provide basic Services that the municipality cannot provide, and it's and and those are needed. I mean, water and sanitation; those are needed and are expected to be, to be to be provided um, by the municipality. But that's that's not the case. Roads, infrastructure, clinics, schools. Um, I can I can I can list a lot, but I'd be interested to find out from other speakers. What are the programs that you do working with municipalities to help empower them to run seamless um, IDP processes to collate the relevant information, information that talks to people on the ground? Thank you.
0: Um, thank you so much for that Um um, thank you so much for speaking and giving that contribution. And I think, um, your contribution is perfect because our next question that we were going to ask, um, Tammy and Zaki is actually was around, um, I guess your question is, um, how can they, they help, um, help municipalities to get better input from the communities? Um, but I, our, our question, and I guess I can answer that as well is, um, who is involved in the drafting of an IDP? And I guess, um. Going beyond that is who's involved and, and what are the processes that take place in that? I think Tommy, you mentioned sometimes it's a six to nine month process. So during that time, what is what happens to produce that document or that plan? Um, I'm going to allow, I see Zaki is his hand up, so I'm going to allow Zaki to go first and then uh, Tommy can pick up as well.
3: Um I uh, thank you for raising that, uh, Mpumi. I think your your intervention is incredibly important. Um, and it's a very interesting one for me, uh, largely because, you know, my my previous work or uh, place of employment was at, at Lawyers for Human Rights. And all of the work I did there was with uh, mining-affected communities. Um, and I think you, you are very right that... Um, Municipalities uh, often copy and paste IDPs, or at least they they found to copy and paste ID, IDPs, and and there's uh, you know there there are instances where there is little uh, within a, uh, communities that they are supposed to be for. Um, but, and I mean generally, so we know that the 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 IDPs are. Uh, is supposed to be drafted by uh, any kind of organization or individual um, and and oftentimes even companies like you say around uh, uh, mining companies who see themselves as stakeholders in the development of an area, Um, you know, and these people would be able to uh, attend IDP meetings and, and make submissions and recommendations. Um, but ultimately, the consolidation of the IDP document itself is the responsibility of the municipality and and I think you're correct in highlighting that this is where problems tend to um, arise because uh, I think you know there there is definitely a need to ensure that IDP processes are governed by greater integrity and transparency. um you know there can be, very powerful actors who, who tend to smother the recommendations of smaller and, and less well-connected stakeholders. Um, and in, in, or, or, you know, there'll be instances where, where there isn't stakeholder engagement, and so uh, communities and grassroots organizations, et cetera, get completely overlooked. Um, so I have come across uh, instances in mining-affected communities where um, mines will submit their, their social and labor plans. You know, to form part of the municipality's IDP, um, and you know, I am. Uh, I think there's a variation between different minds, right? So I'm I'm glad that you raised that in your work. You work very closely with communities because you know, in developing a social and labor plan, you have to. Um, and and I'm I'm very glad that that you do that. You know, um, yeah, because they are minds. Which uh, overlook the need to do that. And, and they will, in communities that are complaining, they are not given an adequate opportunity to comment on the social and labor plan. Uh, and that then also gets, um, to, you know, together the company and the municipality will use that to develop their IPP. Um, and it's then unclear whether the inputs that have been made by communities, if any, uh, are being taken seriously uh, because the municipality is responsible, uh, is responsible for, for consolidating that document. Um, in, in our work, uh, in terms of trying to ensure that IDPs are reflective of the uh, real aspirations of communities. Uh, you know, we we encourage our youth clubs um, to be incredibly proactive, right? Because we know that um, often municipalities fail to call um, IDP meetings. Uh, you you know either at all or regularly regular, uh, enough, <laughs> or uh, and 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 if they do. Um, then they're not advertised well enough. So there's not you know um, there's not adequate representation, especially from young people who don't even know about these things. Uh, so we encourage our youth clubs to be proactive uh, and 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 to go to their, their elected officials um, and to make their submissions and recommendations um, you know on their own basis, uh, whether they are invited to participate or not uh you know part of our civic education is letting them know that they have the right to participate um and you know there are certain ways in which they can go about it
2: um can i jump in okay um i'll take the silences. yes so that is a very great input from me and it's a very true one right um <laughs> and it's not just the challenge when it comes to public participation um, it's not just a challenge of local government we've seen it even at national government we've seen it even with uh, various departments i think one big obvious example was um, with the national youth policy uh, last year when if we all remember the department of women's uh, youth and persons with disabilities published a copy and paste of the previous youth policy right and, they assume that no one is going to notice, right? And that's what happens at local government level as well. Is that <clears throat> they assume that people don't interact with um, with the IDPs, that they don't read the IDPs, and <clears throat> it creates a disconnect between the municipality and the people that they're meant to serve, right? Um, and I'll just use more practical example is the work that we do. So I work for Activate, and we've got this program called the Activate Change Drivers uh, program, um, which was a two model program, right? Um, you come in for the first module, which is about seven days, you go back home, we give you certain home tasks to do, and then you come back, um, you present your home task and then you participate in key learnings from the module two and then you essentially graduate into the network, right? Um, and the key focus of the, uh, what you call this? of the Activate Change Drivers program is to equip young people with the toolkit, you know, for them to be able to effect social change within their respective communities and their respective interests, uh, work of interest, right? And we have a few pillars that guide this particular program. The first pillar is leadership. Um, I think that particular one is uh, self-explanatory. We have socio political navigation, which is a key one, which is an important one, right? We acknowledge that not everyone is interested in politics, but you know, at the end of, at the heart of it all, politics is interested in you. It affects how you, you know, interact or live your daily life, and also because local government is, you know, the production or the provision of day to day services, you interact with local government on a regular basis. So we provide a toolkit in terms of how to navigate that particular space, right? Um, innovation, how to become more innovative, and so forth and so on. Um, there's articulation in terms of which mediums and platforms can you use to articulate your needs, your vision, your, you know, your plans and dreams and so forth. And then um, if I'm not forgetting anything, there's activating, activating change which looks into ripples and waves of change, right? But I'll focus on the navigating socio-political, right? Space. And here we focus primarily on local government. And, you know, the young people that come into our space, we introduce them to local government. Which What is local government? You know what is your interaction with local government? One of the key questions we ask in a baseline survey is: Who is your mayor? Who is your ward councillor? Have you attended an IDP meeting? Do you know what an IDP meeting is? Uh, Have you participated in a protest? You know those type of questions that are linked to interaction with the local government. What we find is that majority of young people uh, are not aware of an integrated development plan majority of communities are not aware of an integrated development plan and that could be by design from local municipalities the less you know the little you can hold us accountable for right um, and also you know gatekeeping it's also the thing of uh, we can get away with a lot if people don't know what's supposed to be happening If you don't know how your community, your municipality is supposed to be servicing you and working for you, it's a win for me if I'm going to be complacent, corrupt, and if I'm going to loot from, you know, a municipality. So we educate them about local government. We have session that speaks to that, introduces local government, how to interact with local government, how to report a local issue, right? Who is your ward councillor? Who is your mayor? What is the role of these particular characters, right? And then we, for module one, we then challenge them to go Create a community profile, um, engaging with the community as well as engaging with the IDP. And then when they come back, um, they do a session. We do a session called the State of the Nation Address, where everyone from different municipalities, right? Because we host people from different parts of the country, they pre they have three minutes to present their communities, and all together that gives you a clear reflection of what South Africa looks like. Key things that comes out of these of the State of the Nation Address is that. A lot of municipalities are actually withholding the idp from community members right um you take america Trada foundation right idps are supposed to be found in a public library What? Well, that's one of the places you can find it um in the community of lehigh they don't have uh, a functional library they don't have access to an idp essentially right some websites are not functioning where you're supposed to get an idp you don't get access to that library. When you ask your ward councillors or the different councillors about an IDP, they're very resistant to what, about telling you about, you know, the IDP in itself. They have questions. Who are you? Who sent you? You know, it's very defensive um, and it's very suspicious, um, the interaction that you come across, right? And secondly, uh, one of the key things that is reported is that what's in the document and what they see on a regular basis are not communicating to each other, right? They would say that they've completed a stadium. Uh, and (laughs) I just thought about the previous stadium Um, and then the community says but we are not aware of this particular stadium there was supposed to be a recreational centre that was built during a particular period no foundation has been set up right? or if a project has been done the value for money does not translate when you look at the project and the money that is there located to the particular project. Those two don't communicate to each other. So there is that uh, factor where councillors are taking advantage um, of community members not being aware that there are processes that the community needs to be a part of. And councillors are inaccessible right so if i can't access you i can't ask you questions i can't be like hey um when is that next idp meeting because even when it comes to advertising of these particular meetings um uh, it's a bit dodge i mean i'm from mohalis city right um there was a period of time where there was huge placards that advertises in advance two weeks in advance when in my ward there'll be a, a an idp meeting with your mayor i haven't seen that in the last three years granted 2016 Mohalla City was a hung municipality, which meant that it was it's essentially a coalition government, right? However, what we were accustomed to is no longer something we see on a daily basis. We don't see the placards advertising um, IDP meetings. If we don't see that, we don't know where they're happening and we can't participate and make contributions to that. What happens is that they have a meeting, you know, the councillors might have meetings with their particular constituencies or with their various political parties. And, you know, they've got a register, they sign off whatever they were talking about, which is not reflective of the community in itself, right? Um, So those are some of the key challenges that are happening and are reflective in what the young people who go through our program are talking about. And what we realize is that the key focus then for us should be how do we educate young people practically to participate in local government processes, how do we ensure that they understand these processes and they can hold the powers that be to account? And as a result, we are we are finalizing what we call a civic education toolkit, which is a post elections toolkit that you know spe- that focuses on how to engage your local government post elections. Because the key focus usually is, who am I voting for on voting day? Um, hey, this party is ruling my municipality, or whatever. But we want young people to actually engage. Um, their vote councillors on a regular basis. Attend community meetings. Attend IDP meetings. Attend budget meetings. Hold, you know, their respective municipality accountable for what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to deliver on, right? And to be involved in key decision-making processes, even if it, you know, being part and parcel of making of bylaws, right? Um, People don't know that they're supposed to participate in making of bylaws, right? Um, And not just leave it up to, you know, the big stakeholders, such as your mining companies or your big businesses or your NGOs, but the regular person needs to know how to engage with local government. And that's one of the things we're trying to achieve and trying to um, do through the, you know, civic education initiatives that we run within our program, right? Um, And... What we're seeing also, you know, over the years is that we're getting more young people from our network who are also participating in local government elections. I mean, this year alone, we have about 15 um, who are participating either through what, uh, as what candidates or as PR candidates. Um, And it might be a small number, but it's it's a huge win when you see the people that have been through a program who walked in not necessarily understanding the local government space, Actually, trying to own that particular space, trying to influence that particular space, and trying to uh, you know advance the voices of young people, and also you know try to meet community issues, community needs. Right, um, key challenges that result in people not participating in IDP meetings is your ward counsellor gets elected and they move out of your community. How do you access that person? You go to the website, the website is not functioning, so you can't get a hold of their numbers, right? You go to council to figure out who this person is. They tell you who the person is, but the person is not there, right? You don't know where to find this person. You don't know how to engage this person. So how do you then report that? So, you know, how do you report an unresponsive counsellor, Something that you know we're trying to get a lot of young people to, to engage with. You know, you can go to to the office of speaker, to the speaker's office um, to actually report this particular issue. You know, or the chief whip of a particular party. You know, so those are some of the things we're trying to address uh, when it comes to challenges um, at local government level. Unfortunately, we're not capacitating uh, politicians or officials of municipalities, but we're trying to capacitate young people so that they can be part and parcel of local government processes. Um, and then to answer the question of who participates in the IDP processes, it's obviously your counselors, uh, it's your community members, everyday community members, your faith-based organizations, your community-based organizations, um, key stakeholders such as your mining companies, your large corporations that have a stake in a particular municipality, right? Um, <clears throat> so yeah, those are some of the people who are involved in this particular process it's at different levels and at different phases. Yeah, um, before I, I go on and on, I think I can hand over back to the host.
1: Thank you so much, Tami. Um, that is such a thorough response about, um, you know, one who is involved in drafting the IDP, but also the important role we play as young people to understand, um, the IDP and everything involved in local government and who we need to talk to. On that note, um, of of being aware and and just really engaging intentionally with. Um, local government processes and the IDP more specifically. From your experience, can you share with us what are some of the key features or common themes um, across the different IDPs of the different municipalities that you've noticed? Um, you know, maybe even the IDP from the community that you're from, um, and any other IDPs that you have observed and, and seen any common themes or features
2: so personally um i usually pay a lot of attention to the mohali city local municipality idp i've paid Mm -hmm. attention also to city of johannesburg because that's where i work and that's where for a few years i resided um and key thematic concepts or thematic areas that usually pop up is usually your municipal profile so this gives you an idea of you know Mm -hmm. who lives in the municipality Um, Who are they? Are they employed? Um, How many are going to school? Um, You know, it's just the characteristic of your municipality, right? There's also the environmental, social, and economic analysis. You know, Um, what are the challenges that, uh, what are the environmental challenges that exist within this particular municipality? What are the opportunities that come with this particular environment? Social dynamics as well of your particular uh, community as well as, you know, Employment status, right? Employment, economic activity. How many people are employed? How many people are unemployed? Um, you know, how many child-headed households are there? Right. That's and also basic services. What basic services are you know are adequately given to community members? What basic What basic services are community members don't have access to? Right. In you know, informal settlements, running water might be a huge challenge. Um, electricity might also be a challenge. You know, so it needs to highlight this in detail. Um, speak to this in detail, right? financial analysis, you know, it needs to be there in terms of how much money, you know, the, the municipality received either from, uh, <clears throat> I think it's Treasury collector, and as well as the rene- revenue generated through the services that they provided, you know, whether it's rates and taxes, um, electricity and stuff like that, right? And then um, there's also, you know, the different projects that, you know, the municipality is planning to embark on. Um, as well as the t- status of that project, um, whether this project is something that's going to be initiated in year three of the five-year plan or year two, year one, if it is something that is started, what is the status of that particular project? Um, also, the budget allocated to this, right? So, whenever you see a project um, initiated by a local municipality, you, they needs to be they needs to be they need to be transparent about the amount of money that particular project has been allocated, right? Hence, we know even. I forgot what's the name of the municipality in the Eastern Cape that built a stadium for allegedly 20-something million, but when community members looked at that particular stadium, it did not reflect um, 22 million. That's how people know how much money is supposed to be allocated to that, is because they need to be transparent. It can't be kept a secret, right? And as community members, we are also allowed to actually question, um, even though government you know like local government makes it difficult for you to reach that point where you can interact and say you guys have done this project show us the financials of this particular project uh <clears throat> they, they they're very quite resistant you know and it also speaks to the rot that exists within uh local government right um but essentially you know when i think about it idp is essentially you know speaks to the plan in the budgeting where resources will be allocated, how, and so forth, and also the decision-making processes linked to a particular IDP, you know. So those are some of the key thematic areas I think of when I think of an IDP. Uh, perfect.
0: Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Um, Thank you so much for that. Um, and... Uh, for anyone who's in the space and who's joined us and would like to either ask any questions to our speakers um, or make any comments, please feel free to um, request to be a speaker and we'll add you in. Um, and even if you just have a general comment about the elections, um, your issues in your community or anything like that, please um, don't hesitate to um, request an invite. So moving on to um, our next question. Um, obviously, I think we mentioned this earlier, but the, the process is defined by the fact that there's supposed to be an in- integration. Um, that's the key word in this whole plan. Um, but how true is that for actual IGPs? Um And how? I mean, I guess, obviously, there is integration perhaps in, in terms of that all of these need to um, work together and in relation to each other. But in terms of... Um, I guess maybe different municipalities working with each other, and um, but also I guess within municipalities. Um, so yeah, uh, whoever wants to go first.
3: Um, I'll just come in briefly. I think I think Tommy is perhaps a better place to to provide more clarity and uh, depth of analysis on on you know the. Uh, the reality um, but I mean as I said earlier I, I do think that there is a great need to uh, ensure that these IDP processes and, and how they are uh, put together and developed uh, that they are governed by greater integrity and transparency um, you know and, and that is something that uh, we should definitely be pushing for and, and mobilizing towards because there are issues and um, uh, I think you know it has it has been mentioned but it is worth reiterating um, you know that these issues uh, be they copy and pasting the IDPs uh, or you know a, a failure to proactively engage uh, with communities and with different stakeholders in the community um, as I think you know Tommy was talking about the fact that, that municipal councillors and ward councilors do uh, don't go out of their way to make themselves accessible to those, who they are representatives of, uh, is a huge issue, right? Um, and, you know, in, in many ways, it, it makes their job easy, uh, since their job essentially is to represent uh, the people within their ward. Um, you know, if, if they not uh, actively engaging with and hearing from those people, uh, then their job is easy because there's nothing for them to represent, nothing uh, for them to fight for on, on municipal councils, etc. Um, so there is a need for for uh, for us as young people, but generally just as 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 uh, people within democratic setting um, and and with rights um, to hold our elected officials to account. Um, you know, even uh, if they are not the people who we voted for or even if we did not vote uh, those officials are still your representatives you know they are not just the representatives of those who voted uh, voted them into the position that they are in. Um, yeah so I yeah I'll, I'll let me hand over to Tommy to to give us some some depth.
2: Um, in terms of integration, um, how true is it or how reflective of it is it? I think the first thing we need to do is go back to why were IDPs introduced by government into the <clears throat> into you know into the local government sphere, and among those was that there is a huge inequalities between suburban areas, your, your townships, and your rural areas. Historically, some areas were not serviced. Historically, some uh, areas uh, had poor spatial planning whereas others had proper spatial planning, right? And <clears throat> have we seen much integration in the last 27 years or so or the last 25 plus years or so? Uh, I would say no. Um, and I would use my the area my dad grew up in. Uh, it's an area called Samahansi in Mokopane, right? Till this day, till this day, an area with a population over... Uh, 20,000 residents still doesn't have running water, right? Um, but it's not that far off from Mokopani, right? It's about 15 kilometers away. The residents of Mukopani have running water. They've got tap water. Whereas the residents of Tamahansi, right next to them, right, uh, still need to go fetch water either from a single tap that the community uses or from a nearby river how is it that with all you know that has been happening over the years you have communities that existed before the idp was initiated existed throughout the idp processes still don't have the basic services of running water right nearby communities are being built around that particular area right so next to it there is an area called Masoodi. it's relatively new it's about 6 if i'm not mistaken it's less than 10 years old some of those houses already have you know tap water in the yards how is it that an area that that's close by doesn't have that tap water right you look at tar road right uh, not all communities have access to tar road you know more, most of them it's gravel road what has actually been done to ensure that you know uh <clears throat> townships and rural areas actually have Decent roads that you know you can use. There's some areas um, where, when it rains, the bus does not even go into the community because it's difficult to drive into. So for a week, for about two weeks or so, people have to now walk distances to be able to reach the bus. So now it's spring, it's summer, rainy season. The challenge now becomes access and transport. I have to walk great lengths to actually be to have access to transport. So it's it's not yet uhuru when it comes to the integration plan, uh, integrated development plan actually being an integrated uh in you know the reality of integration, right? We're still seeing the gap, you know, widening between the suburbs in terms of service delivery, rural areas in terms of being serviced, in terms of being, you know, at you know, being taken into consideration when development needs to take place. Suburban areas, you know, they're good. They get things like Wi-Fi, fiber, Wi-Fi. Um, <clears throat> use your townships it takes a process for fiber to be installed in a particular area right uh traffic lights typical example nearby me johannesburg uh there's an area called devon deep there's one traffic light there that works for about two months and for the rest of the year it doesn't work right that would never be the case in some of you know the areas within the city of johannesburg yes william nicole is always traffic lights out but they get fixed quickly they doesn't get fixed. Same thing with the Rivoli, right? So I would say that there's a huge challenge when it comes to the integration, and part of it is that um, these these policies, these documents, are being drafted, are being written, but they're not being implemented adequately, right? Whether it's due to incompetence, uh, complacency, looting, corruption, uh, I'll leave it up for you to decide, but there's various factors that are hindering or acting as a barrier for us to have Inter, integrated, you know, development development within our spaces, within our municipalities, right? Those that can afford to also invest in their own communities financially are better off than communities where, you know, financially they can't afford to invest into their own communities. You see there's a huge disparity and differences between schools in rural areas versus schools in suburban areas, you know, where some schools are still having you know, pet toilets where others have decent toilets, right? Um, Toilets that you can flush. So there's there's still a long way to go, even though we've got, you know, systems and processes that can actually develop our municipalities, we're not seeing that take place. Um, If it's a question of political will or, you know, the administrative way of municipalities not doing their work, That's, you know, a story to tell, right? There's some some municipalities where you can report an issue on yourself or, you know, you just sent an SMS, two days later, the pothole is fixed. Some municipalities where you will never see uh, your your respective councillors, right? So there's huge disparities. What the reasons for the integrated development plan to be put into our local government and what is currently happening are not meeting each other. The concept is a great concept as much as, Many of our policies, even at national or provincial level, these are great policies, but the implementation thereof is either non existent or poor or is hindered by corruption and Um, I think I'm done if I'm not kicked out on the space or something. I hope I wasn't speaking alone.
1: No, no, you're not, me, Sorry, the silence is us just mulling over what you've said. Um, you've made a lot of noteworthy points, um, thought-provoking points, so I think the silence is just a side of us processing what you're saying. Um, I would like us to move on to talk about what we have heard in the media and maybe have observed in conversations with young people, and that is you know, the issue of huge voter apathy, um, especially amongst young people. And so I'd like to hear from both you, Zaki and and Tammy, what do you think are some of the reasons for this apathy, uh, particularly amongst young people?
3: Um, I think I'd say that perhaps the most significant reason uh, for voter apathy in the, in the run-up to this this election, um, y- you know, I, it probably speaks to a, a heightened level of disillusionment uh, with politics and and with political figures and organisations uh, more generally. You know, uh, I think people and perhaps young people especially feel as though there is little. Um, to choose from, right? Uh, and uh, are probably feeling uninspired by the choices that they have. Um, <clears throat> I suppose there's also the fact that, that many people feel as though their, their choice makes little difference, right? So, and I, I think that relates to what, what Tommy was sharing with us now in, you know, in relation to the, the massive divide uh, that exists um, even within a, a uh, you know, within local government. Like uh, if we look at CoJ, which is uh, a huge metropolitan municipality, uh, there are these internal power dynamics that are that are playing themselves out, um, and you know, where where, where certain ward councillors or PR representatives for for certain districts or wards, uh, you know, not able to. Um, to win the support and the finances and, you know, the uh, prioritization that they need in order to uh, really create tangible development um, within the communities that they are elected to represent and serve. Um, And, you know, these power dynamics speak to the way in which uh, wealth um, really does um, determine uh, power. Right and 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 uh, your ability to access, uh, you know, the, you know your 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 services and facilities and amenities and you know your your dignity and your well-being and your livelihood and your access to opportunities, all of these things, right? And how wealth <laughs> interplay there, I uh, Where wealth uh, contributes to whether you you can access those things or not. Um, so, so there's that. So young people feel that though so they, their choice makes little difference. So whether they come to the election and vote or not, uh, you know, will it will it really uh, create a tangible change in the, in the immediate community and immediate environment? Because it has been so long um, that people have been waiting for. Election promises to materialize since nineteen ninety four. The same election promises, uh, are, you know, have been made over and over again. Uh, yet, in many spaces, little has been done um, to, you know, to really uh, achieve uh, achieve them. Um, I, I think, you know, it also speaks to the importance of. Uh, young people being active change makers, uh, and this is what we kind of try and 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 instill, you in know, youth clubs in at the Amakatara Foundation is that, um, you know, it in in many circumstances or or contexts it has become impractical to wait on someone else to deliver change for you. Um, so young people need to be active participants in decision making and in their communities uh, so that they can be a part of creating um, you know the change that they want to see for themselves and for others um, yeah let me let me cut it off there let me not count for too long
1: Tammy?
0: Uh, he's unmuted but i'm not sure um oh he was by mistake removed as a speaker that's so. (laughs) i just adding him back okay Okay. Uh.
3: In the in the meantime, I must also warn you guys that I'm scheduled to load shed now, and if I do, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna lose connection. Uh,
0: then maybe uh, while we wait for Tommy to reconnect um, as a speaker, um, Zaki, before you, um, I, if you are low, and you have to leave us. Um, our kind of final question to just wrap, that we were gonna wrap up with is: What are your personal thoughts ahead of these uh, elections? Um, and basically, what, what would you say um, is an alternative to people who don't want to vote and who are disillusioned, as you mentioned, with the system? Um, do you have any, I mean, obviously working with the Katrata Foundation and the work you do, are there any, um, I guess, options or advice you'd give to people on how they can interact outside of the electoral system with political processes?
3: So... There are definitely options um, that, that people have. I, I suppose, let me let me first get to the first question in terms of my own personal thoughts ahead of the elections. Um, I found, and, and perhaps this, this feeling that I have is one which uh, other young people uh, are experiencing as well, where is is, there isn't a real emotional connection to my vote uh, and to participating yeah, in this upcoming election. Um, my vote is more of a, of a strategic one. Um, and I, I don't know I, I find that to be an issue and I think it, it speaks to you know what I, what I was talking about in terms of there being a, a lack of uh, genuine uh, alternative and, and a lack of substance and integrity. Uh, within the options uh, that we have, especially within um, uh, political parties. Uh, Although, at the same time, I also see um, this particular election as an incredibly interesting one. And even though for me, uh, I don't connect... Uh, emotionally, with with any of the options that are made ava- uh, available in this particular election, um, I still see it as a good sign of a healthy democracy that there are more options, um, you know, that have a real chance of of uh, galvanizing support and and coming into. Um, uh, positions of, of uh, you know, elected positions uh, during this election, because um, I think politics has been very one-sided or very binary, either one-sided or binary. You know, in uh, in South, in throughout South Africa's democratic uh, uh, history and experience. Um, and this election, for me, marks. Uh, qualitative turning points in many ways where there are other options that are emerging. Um, And I think that is a sign of a healthy democracy. And, you know, I would encourage people to be actively involved so that uh, those options can continue expanding. Um, And, you know, uh, hopefully one will emerge that, that can really inspire an emotional connection um you know within a within a, a mass voter base um and then in relation to uh, other options that people have uh, you know if, if they choose not to vote um, I think like I said earlier it's it's important to remember that even if you don't vote uh, the person who comes into office is still your representative um, and they are not the representatives uh only of those you know who voted for them, um, so you do still have every right to to engage with them and to hold them to account. And there are different ways that you can do this. Um, so if you're a member of a political party, I mean, in political party meetings, you should be able to engage with your your PR um, representative, you know, your proportional sorry, your proportional representative um, or council member. Um, and at those meetings, you can speak up and you can exercise influence. And then, of course, there's also what we've been talking about: public participation meetings, like, like, like the the IDP uh, meetings and processes. And there's also participatory budgeting meetings, uh, and these are useful places to make inputs and inroads. Um, and then, of course, I mean, it it is difficult because uh, a lot of our ward counselors and Council members make themselves scarce and hidden, uh, but we are and should be able to have personal contact with representatives. Uh, We should be able to schedule meetings with them, to invite them to meetings, um, uh, and in that way, you know, uh, be able to participate in the trajectory of our society and of our immediate communities. and if if they are not making themselves available to to discuss over the phone or via email or, or in person, uh, we can mobilize, right? Um, and I think that is an incredibly powerful tool that young people have uh, at their disposal, right? It's the ability to 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 protest, the right to protest. Um, to uh, you know, the right to petition, to start a campaign, to use social media, to you know, to lodge complaints uh, um, uh, with you know, with various uh, hotlines and, and accountability um, uh, accountability measures or institutions or persons. Um, but this is, I mean, this is this is. Throughout history, you know, protest and 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 uh, uh, mobilization and community organizing, you know, this has been the uh, the the root and core of systemic change in our world and in our society. And uh, I think that is perhaps the most powerful tool that young people can use, especially those young people who are disillusioned, and those young people who. Um, you know who, who uh, see the the act of voting as as uh, one which does not uh, create real change in their worlds. Um, you know, and the alternative is to fight for a world that you want to be a part of and that you want to live in. And and that is an option that people need to know that they have. And it's also a part of being uh, an active citizen and of holding your your elected officials to account.
0: Thank you for um, that. Would- yes, uh, Tommy, please go ahead. Um, I don't know if you caught both of um, my Letiway's question. Um, do you want me to uh, say uh, repeat them or are you good to go?
2: I uh, caught the first question and I got uh, my network then did a bit of, I had a challenge with my network and then I caught the second one. Uh, so I think I'm good to go.
0: Okay, perfect.
2: Sweet. So with these with you know the voters' role essentially shrinking leading up to these particular elections, um, the narrative is usually you know to blame young people and you know call them names, say they're apathetic, they're not involved, they're lethargic, whatnot and whatnot. And I think that particular narrative takes away responsibility um, from various stakeholders, right? I think the issue of lower youth voter turnout is an issue of three things. There's a lack of faith in institutions. There's a lack of faith in politicians. And, you know, there's lower levels of civic education. And I'll explain this, you know, earlier on in the year, we did a series of dialogues across the country. um, And we titled these dialogues, My Vote Isn't My Voice Dialogues. And this was a platform for young people to articulate themselves in relation to to local government. Uh, Their understanding, if they're not participating, why is it that they're not participating, right? And... The lack of faith of institution comes out clearly so when we talk about the lack of faith in institutions that there is no trust in government at all you know these institutions that are meant to serve and uh, produce services for you we don't believe that they are interested in doing that or there's well or there's you know capacity to do that local government is not providing basic water for a lot of residents There's a lot of residents who are without electricity, even though they were paying residents, they haven't been receiving um, electricity. Right now, for the past week or so, we were going through load shedding. Um, I don't know. Personally, I call load shedding, uh, you know, poor service delivery coined as load shedding, right? Um, There's communities in Orange Farm who haven't had electricity in over 12 months, right, which is... One of the functions of, of local government is to, you know, provide its residents with electricity. Why are those residents without electricity for such lengthy periods? If you don't have electricity, your food, you can't, where are you going to store your food? You spend more money on food than you would normally would if you had a fridge that was functional, right? So that's one of the things that we need to speak to is that there's no faith in institutions that are meant to serve us. Secondly, there's lack of faith in politicians. What counselors run this the most, right? You elect someone, you saw them during elections, right? The campaigning process. Once they get elected, either they move out of your community or
1: Hi, have we lost
0: Tony by any chance? I do think so. Um, I can't hear him from my side. Um, not sure. It looks like it's connecting now. Um I think he um he's lost connection for a moment, so I'm adding him back as a speaker. Um
2: Okay. Can you guys hear me? Hello, am I audible?
0: Yeah.
2: Okay, no, sorry about that. Um, Load shedding just took place, poor service delivery. Um, so lack of faith and, and politicians, I think that's where I was at. We now look, we are, we're in a, we're in a pandemic, right? We've been in the COVID-19 pandemic for over a year now, right? And then an official trusted with ensuring, you know, we get through this, right? Um, is now found to be practicing, um, who was found essentially looting, right? Um, or being corrupt. And this is the former Minister of Health. One of the most critical, um, departments needed for us to actually get through this particular pandemic and you have a politician who is now um, looting funds from, you know, who's looting state resources for personal gains and personal use. How do we trust such people? How do we trust that politicians are actually out there to serve our needs um, as opposed to self-interest, right? And these things lead up to young people not trusting uh, politicians or wanting to be involved. If I feel as if, you know, I'm going to vote and this person is not going to loot resources, Why should I participate in this particular process, right? So that's the second point, you know, uh, the lack of faith in politicians. The the third one for me is around civic education, right? Some schools actually do a good job in educating high school learners about um, democratic processes such as the electoral cycle, right? And some institutions, some schools unfortunately don't. So you have 18 and 19 year olds who leave school not knowing what the difference between local government is, local government, provincial government, national government. They don't know what the functions and role of a mayor is, the functions and role of a ward council. They don't know um, what is the purpose of local government in relation to you, what is the purpose of national government in relation to you. Um, you hear these fancy words, someone is an MEC, but I don't know what an MEC is. Someone is a premier, I don't know what a premier is, right? So. If I don't know about these processes, why should I participate in these particular processes? What you know, what incentive do I have to participate in this process, right? Um, there's also a lack of active citizenry being taught um, at a young level, right? Or patriotism, for lack of a better word, right? Um, so I walk out of school, and one of the examples I also like making is that when I'm in metric, when I'm 18 years old or 17 years old, I have to beg my teacher, I have to ask my teacher to go use the restroom, right? Simple thing, I need to now ask for permission to go to the toilet. The following year, I'm expected to make a decision that will impact who will govern my municipality for the next five years. From asking permission to go to the blue, to making such an important decision that affects me on a regular basis, there's a huge disconnect in terms of trust in that particular individual. At one point, you didn't trust me to be able to walk out of your classroom to go to the toilet um, without you you know, micromanaging um, like my actions and behavior, then the next moment I'm expected to make essentially a life-changing decision, right? So for me, uh, we need to look into the faith that we put in young people. We need to look into are we educating young people about various democratic processes. Politicians need to take ownership of the reason why we have lower voter turnout. And, you know, we have lower voter turnout in essentially every... Election, whether it's uh, municipal elections or national and provincial government elections, right? They need to own up to what they have done. They, it's not, it's not by you know mistake or chance that young people are saying, I'm not interested in this, right? You turn on the TV, there's some you know corrupt activity that a politician is involved in. Today we heard about the was it the NEC in Pumalang who was being um, charged for murder, right? An official, a, a politician, somewhat a public servant, charged for murder, right? Zulimki is a classical example, right? Um, we had an entire president of the country who was in and out of court, you know, even after being a president, you know, in his retirement, is in and out of court, you know? The deputy president of a particular party was, you know, named in the VDA scandal, right? card sellers are non-existent, right? So if we don't trust these particular people why should I put my vote next to their name and enable them to do what I might not believe in, right? And then I think also, you know, the, the fact that, you know, independent candidates, as much as I love them, they get silenced in council, right? Because they don't have um, other, what you call this, they don't have colleagues to assist them on a particular matter. When we vote in local government, you know, we vote for your ward candidate, right? And that's where your, word, your independent would come in. And we also vote for a political party, which then brings in the, the PR candidate, right? There is no independent PR candidate. So on issues that matter and issues that affect the communities, independents get silenced within local government, right? I might be fighting for a particular issue, but if the numbers are not in my sight, there's little that I can do in my municipality. And if independents aren't achieving the desired effect at local government level, and we've lost faith in, you know, in political parties, chances are I'm going to withhold my vote, right? So we need to look into, politicians need to own up to that process and, you know, take accountability and redress their own behaviours, redress their own work, right? And then in terms of institutions, right, uh, we blame government, we blame politicians a lot, but we need to be honest, you know, when you look at government, um, there's the administrative side of government and there's also the political leadership side of government. Political leadership, we all know. of, And then there's the administrative side, which is... Rotten to the core, um, and a typical example would be your, you know, your Department of Licensing, right? For me to get a booking right now, if I want to renew my license, you have to lubricate the process, you know, through a cold drink, you know, financial means, whatever, just to get services that you are supposed to be getting for free, right? Uh, there's the amount of you know disrespect that public, the, like you know, officials. Meet normal residents as if Batubele like, principles are non-existent in their vocab, in their vocab. The service charter is non-existent in their vocab. You know, they're rude towards community members, right? So now, if you know, if you've got a rotten institution that doesn't service the community, is rude towards the community. I don't want to be involved in that particular processes. We need to facelift. We, you know, you know these institutions need a facelift. So, for lack of a better word, right? And. If you're not registered to vote, how can I participate if you're not registered to vote? Um, Look, one of the things we're doing currently is getting young people to participate as observers, right? We applied for observers, we got accreditation, and we'd have 200 young people who'd be observing elections on election day, right? So you can get, you know, your community-based organizations, your faith-based organizations to apply for accreditation and get... Young people to actually, actually participate in this process of, you know, essentially safeguarding our democracy and ensuring that we have free and fair elections. We often hear of ballots going missing, right? We often hear of um, scrupulous behavior taking place at a voting station. We need to report on this. We need to be there to actually say, you know what? Um, I notice one, two, three, and report it so that action is taken towards that particular action. Right? We need to safeguard our democracies. Another way we can participate is more importantly, what happens after voting joining ward committees, right? Being part of a ward committee um, on a particular issue that you're passionate about, if you're passionate about sports and development, be part of that, you know, make inputs and contributions towards that. Hold your councillor to account, right? Attend the state of your municipality address. Know what your mayor is saying. If it's not true, hold them account, right? We need to also start applying pressure on government reporting issues, whether we report these issues to um, certain officials or we report it to on on social media and putting it on blast, right, the same way the municipality in uh, Pumalang was put on blast for that particular stadium. We need to do more of that so that they know that we are watching them, you know, we are active in what is happening within our respective communities. So we shouldn't just look at participation just at voting level, but we need to look at it, at, you know, what happens after our vote who is my ward counsellor, engage your ward counsellor. If there's issues in your community, you are allowed to go directly to your ward counsellor and say, hey, on my street, the street light is not working. On my street, there's a pothole. On my street, there's that and that is not happening, right? Your counsellor, their responsibility is to actually take that issue to the respect, either the respective community or to, to council to ensure that it is taken care of, right? So we need to actively, you know, participate in these processes, whether it's joining ward committees, whether it's um, being a watchdog of a certain degree, right? Whether it's participating in IDP meetings, finding out where your IDP meeting has taken place, or, you know, making intri- comments and contributions to that, whether written or oral, um, and also finding out other key policies in your municipalities and, you know, If there needs to be other policies that need to be introduced and, you know, taking it up with the respective committees that exist within your municipality, there's so much that we can do at local government level that can actually have a positive influence on our communities um, beyond just voting. Voting is very key in terms of who we have um, as representatives of our communities, but also we have a responsibility to be active citizens, to be active participants of the everyday running of our communities, whether it's reporting an issue, whether it's how holding you know officials to account. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much um, for that, uh, Tami, and thank you um, for all of those very valuable insights and um, for Zaki as well see. Um, do you have any um, we're actually I think um, coming to the end of our session because uh, we don't want to yeah. keep uh, people too late uh, in the evening um, sitting yeah. on social media um, but yeah thank you to both of our guests and for everybody who joined I think we had a good um, room today and our people were engaged and yeah. um, we're available to engage with after the space is over as well um, feel free to tweet any of us and Um, Hopefully, we will get the space um, saved in some form in the coming weeks. um, So you can look out for that. Um, That's it from my side. Um, uh, Thank you for joining us, and um, and it was great.